You guys can be seated. One of the things that I love when I read the stories of Jesus, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, if you read through those, and, and here's what you find. You find a Jesus who intentionally, purposefully spends time with people. Right? This is completely different than any other uh, faith system that you will research or you will study or you will examine that the God in heaven saw that we were broken, that we were sinful, that we needed salvation. So he sent Jesus to live and to breathe and to walk and to form relationships. And, and he had close relationships. He stepped into people's lives. When Jesus was starting to call the disciples to him, one of those happened um, in a moment where he calls a guy by the name of Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is, is very uh, iffy on can anything good, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth, which is where Jesus is from. And Jesus, right out of the blue, says, oh, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Now that's past personal, right? That is, I'm not there, but I saw it, and I'm going to call you on it because I want you to know that I know what's going on in your life. The disciples, they saw Jesus in those type of moments. They were with Jesus when he was at dinner meetings with people that the towns considered sinners and tax collectors, and he put them, and they sat down with dinner with them while the Pharisees, the religious, looked on. And the disciples were learning from Jesus. They were watching Jesus. There are group meetings where Jesus has pulls away. We'll see one of those today where Jesus pulls away with his disciples and he pours into a, a smaller group of people. And then there's moments where Jesus even gets smaller and pulls away to, to three of his disciples and he's intentional and he's pouring into their lives. If, if we take time long enough uh, to, to really think through and read about Jesus, here's what we understand. Here's what I want you to see today. That making disciples is not something that happens outside of our lives. It happens around the table, at home, modeling Jesus in front of people. It's what Jesus did. He, he washed the feet of his disciples. What other religious leader does that? Well, he's modeling servanthood. He pulls away from the crowds. What other person does that? Jesus weeps in front of his disciples at the death of a friend, and then he blows their mind and calls them out of the grave. He's living, he's saying, come and see, follow Jesus. Follow me. We've been walking through for four weeks um, what we believe as a church, why we do what we do in shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. We've looked at biblical teaching, obedient generosity, missional service. Um, just a quick reminder on those two. You got a great chance to uh, exercise those two over the next week as we prepare for our outdoor service. At 10.30 next Sunday outside. There's reminders in your chairs for you to take to invite some other peoples. Uh, other peoples. I don't know where that came from, but um, I'm full of blunders today, just so you know. All right, um, other people uh, or people groups maybe, um, and to invite them. Uh, but we do need to know that they're coming. I know a lot of people are traveling next weekend. It's Memorial Day. School gets out for most people, all those kind of things. But we need to know so that we have enough prepared for you. Um, and we have one service at 1030, lunch to follow, and ways to partner with World Relief. Um, so all that information is there um, at your disposal if you want to grab a hold of that. But we also want to look at the next value, which is evangelistic discipleship. Evangelistic discipleship 
is necessary because Christianity is a life of continuous devotion. It is not an isolated event. Now, that word, those two words together are two of the churchiest words, right? Evangelistic discipleship. What in the world is that talking about? Let's break it down, and then we'll walk through several passages of scriptures. To be evangelistic means to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, what is that good news? Well, here is that good news. According to scripture, we have sinned, and the payment for sin is death. God offered us a loving sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And instead of sin and death, he offered us forgiveness and eternity. To be evangelistic simply means... I'm going to tell other people about Jesus, all right? So I'm going to tell other people about Jesus, and I want them to become a disciple. I want to disciple them. I want them to help grow. What is a disciple? It is someone who follows another person, another way of life, and submits themselves willingly, says, hey, I'm going to follow their teaching. Sometimes even unknowingly, we become disciples of some things in life. Hey, I'm going to follow their teaching. I'm going to follow their leading. I'm going to do what they do, act like they act, say what they say. I'm going to follow that. So when you put the two together, here's what you have. You have followers of Jesus who willingly share the good news of Jesus, yet they don't stop there. They say, let me tell you about Jesus and follow me to Jesus. Let me walk you to a closer relationship with Jesus. Now, um, this past week, my, uh, my youngest daughter, her homeschool group, had a field day. Um, she's homeschooled. Just so you know, homeschoolers do live in their house, okay? Uh, they do get out of their pajamas, all that good stuff. And uh, so we had a field day. Um, I can make homeschool jokes. It's okay, all right? Uh, and, and so we, we had field day, and we had, my wife told me ahead of time, she said, hey, we're going to play kickball. Now, in my mind, I am going back to fourth grade kickball. I've got memories of glory, right? I've got victory in mind. I'm on the purple team. We tie-dyed shirts. We were the purple team. We were going to dominate, okay? Short story, we lost, okay? Different conversation. But here's what happened. I, I got there, and I knew this ahead of time. Like, my wife was kind of prepping me for it. She's like, hey, babe, just know that there's little kids in your team. Now, my son Jonathan, who's playing guitar this morning, he was on the other team, so we got to win, right? I mean, I got to beat my own kid. And so we had this opportunity, purple against green, and, and we get to this one point in the game, you know, and they're kicking, and I've got three five-year-olds on my team. This is not a measure of success, okay, in this moment. This is not victorious. And so one little girl, she's, I don't think she's ever played kickball, and she's standing there, and, and she's looking at, at, at this, and, and the, the, the person's rolling the ball, and it's, it's her turn, and she's kind of standing there. I was like, hey, you're up. She's holding another little girl's hand. They're just happy, right? They're just swinging their arms. I said, you want to go kick the ball? Yeah. Can she come with me? Sure. Can you go with me? Let's have a party at the plate, right? And so I grab two five-year-old hands, okay? We walk up to the plate. The ball comes down. Boom, boom, boom. Nothing. No leg movement, right? I'm like, okay, let's just put it here. So we reach down. I put it right in front of her. And, and I was like, you know, just, just kick it. And she kicks it. It goes like three feet. We take off running, right? Hand in hand. We're just running down the... 
kind of running down. You know, I'm trying not with my six-foot-two frame not to rip their arms out, you know. And I'm like, come on, we got to get to first base. We get thrown out, and I'm going, seriously? I got two five-year-olds on my arm. We should be safe for eternity, all right? Just let us be safe. But we were out. We had to go back to the, you know, they had no idea what was going on. And in my mind, I'm controlling, right? But here's what I had to decide. I had to decide, am I going to teach them competitiveness or compassion? Am I going to teach them how to enjoy this? Like how to enjoy losing? I don't know how that works, right? But, but I'm trying. But I share that with you because isn't that the picture that Jesus shows us of making disciples? He says to Peter, he says uh, to Nathaniel, he says to James, he says to this ragtag group of disciples, he says, guys, you have no idea what you're about to step into. Let me grab your hands. Come on, let's go. I'll lead you. I'll walk you down the line. I'll get you to first base. You see, discipleship is not simply saying it's not one of these words without the other. It's not evangelism. Let me tell people about Jesus. Let me just throw Jesus at them and then, hey, go enjoy your life and figure it out. That's not disciple making. Disciple making also is not simply instructional by saying, hey, let me give you this. Here's five ways to study your Bible. Go home. Go figure it out. No. What is it? It's grabbing somebody by the hand spiritually, physically at times and walking down the spiritual road with them going, hey, you never kicked the ball? Great. Let's learn to kick. You've never opened scripture? Awesome. You've never prayed? Great. Let's do it together. And you know who we have to thank for that model? Jesus. It's not a program. It's not a, a perfectly run program. It is a relationship that, that Jesus spoke. Here's what he wants you to do. I want you to learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And I don't want you to do it alone. So in the New Testament, Jesus did not simply command it. At one point in Mark chapter 3, we're going to be all over the place this morning just to give you a heads up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, several other places this morning. But at one point in Mark chapter 3, Jesus takes his disciples. Here's one picture, one glimpse I want you to see. He went up to the mountain and called to him those who he desired. And they came to him. He didn't call everybody. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12. He appointed them. He drew them. He brought them. Why? So they were prepared to preach. They were there to cast out. Disciple making, what we see here is it is, it is intentional and it is modeled by Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, go make disciples. Jesus had already been making disciples. I've already hinted at this from the beginning, but the crowds kept pressing in on Jesus. And what did Jesus begin to do? More often, he began to pull away from the crowds. Yes, sometimes to pray. Yes, sometimes to teach his disciples. When Jesus reaches out and he says, hey, you're going to be my 12. You're called to follow me. The idea of being a disciple would not have been foreign to them. You see, they lived in a Jewish communities, many of them, and their background was when a rabbi, a teacher, gets to a certain point, he calls some young men from the community to be followers, apprentices of him, and he's going to make them an apprentice of, them, of himself. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, hey, I want you to follow me. It was a great honor. 
Jesus is teaching the crowds. He's performing miracles. Yet in the middle of it, what does he do? He pulls away, goes up to the mountain and says, hey guys, let's, let's, let me teach you. Let me pour into you. Because you're going you're gonna to preach. You're going to cast out demons. You need to be prepared. Here's what this is. This is a willingness, a calling people to follow, to grow, to learn. Through Jesus, he's saying, hey, guys, come learn from me. Jesus could have stayed on the big Colosseum tour, right? He could have just stayed and spoke to the thousands. But what did he do? He knew that this movement that's now impacted me and you 2,000 plus years later, it's impacted you because somebody told somebody told somebody told somebody told somebody told somebody. And that message has continued to you that the good news of Jesus is needed for you to be forgiven of your sins. And it's personal. He didn't just do it from a distance. He didn't just stand at a podium and go, hey guys, I got a good sermon for you. No, he preached and he lived. He preached and he lived. He preached and he lived. Jesus sat down with the disciples. He poured into them. So when Jesus called the 12 to the hillside, he was more than at that moment a preacher to thousands. He was their savior. He was their teacher. He was a disciple maker. He was pouring instruction. He was pouring wisdom. He was pouring purpose. Why? Because he loved them. They saw Jesus weary. They heard the accusations against Jesus. They were there. They saw his response. When they had doubts, Jesus continued to listen to them. They continued to grow in their faith. One of the things I love about the senior class that you guys saw pictures of earlier that Caleb and, uh, and then you got to see all those cute baby pictures. Um, they, they are a group of students. I just got to tell you, they have been discipled by a group of adults, the Teeters and the Rollins um, and a lot of other youth workers, but those two families have poured into them. And here's, here's what I know about them. They haven't done it at a distance. They haven't just randomly done this. They have answered the late night text messages. They have been to their ball games. They have been in their homes. They've had them in their homes. They've gone fishing. They've played disc golf. They've played, I mean, they've, they've studied the word together. They've done all of this together. Why? Because they care for them. They love them. Matthew chapter 4, we see this account from Jesus. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Disciple making does not happen at a distance. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen. I know that we got accustomed for a while there of doing things online, and, and I don't even want to say the Z word, Zoom, right? Um, it's like a bad word in culture now. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to do that, especially some of you who are educators. You talk to an empty screen, right? You, you logged on. Your students supposedly were there, but they weren't there, but they counted as being there as long as their screen was on, right? And they're off playing Xbox while you're trying to teach English, right? And, and you're trying to pour into them and we start to realize something. You know what? This doesn't work from a distance. This doesn't work from out of town. It, it, some of it's necessity and some of it we, we succeeded at in little bits and pieces. And, and I got to tell you, there were a few nights that I sat on my back porch having a deacon's meeting um, with a, a Zoom call and the birds chirping and the fire pit going. It was pretty nice. Right? I'm not going to lie. It was pretty nice. 
But after a while, you know what you miss? You miss the people. You miss the relationships. You miss the one-on-one. Jesus didn't say, guys, follow me, but, but keep your distance. Follow me, but, but you just watch. Don't ask questions. Follow me, but don't really get into the middle of the business of what's going on here. No, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. It's not an online class. It happens in your home. It happens in your office. It happens intentionally. It happens in your workplace. It happens on the ball field. It happens at dance class as an instructor, as a student. It happens in your classroom. It happens all the way around you. It happens in the grocery store. It happens when you're getting some car work done on your car. Disciple making is everywhere you are. Have you thought about that? That somebody, anytime somebody's watching you, it's a disciple-making moment. may not be a long one. And you're looking back and going, oh, boy, I've messed some of those up. So have I, right? But somebody's watching. Now, I wanted you to see something here that even in the middle of the, the first service just grabbed a hold of kind of our hearts as we were walking through this. So this is the model that Jesus led. This is, this is how he grew his disciples so that they would be prepared to to preach the good news, post Jesus on the earth. Seventy years later, Paul writes this, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. So he's writing to this church. He's saying, guys, we love you. We care for you. We affectionately desire some things for you. We were ready to share with you, listen to this, not only the gospel of God, not only the good news, but also our own selves. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 time out, Paul. You mean it's not enough just to randomly place a track somewhere and just hope somebody picks it up and that that works sometimes, but you mean it's not enough for me just to tell somebody about Jesus? No, listen to what Paul says. He says, we so desire for you. This is a challenge for us as a church in our community. Do we love our community enough to say, we affectionately desire for Thomasville, for Davidson County, for Guilford County, for Randolph County. I'm not sure what other counties you guys are from, but you're from a lot of them, all right? For you, for your county, we affectionately desire here's what we want to do. We want to share the good news of Jesus, and we want you to walk in our lives with us. That's what he's saying. We love you enough that we want to share Jesus and open up our homes to you. Because, here's why, because you had become very Dear to us. Evangelistic disciple making makes people a priority. Not a program, not a time slot, not I got an hour for you. It's people. It's messy. It's dangerous. It's tumultuous. It's up and it's down. So 
At the end of that, what does he say? He says, because you had become very dear to us. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But the commitment level, the, here, the commitment level is, is, is high. He's saying, we want to share good news and we want to offer you us. Whatever us is, we want to give you us. Why? Because you're dear to us. Disciple-making is intentional. Disciple-making doesn't happen at a distance. Disciple-making is committed, is, is, is commanded by Jesus Christ. It's not optional. It's not maybe we should do this or maybe we'll get around to it. Jesus says this, one of the most popular verses to ever be preached on and ever spoken because it's so clear. The Great Commission, um, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, so he didn't just say baptize them, he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This passage is quite simple. It's powerful. It's power-packed. Every follower of Jesus Christ is commanded to be a disciple-maker. Every one of them. Every one of us. Every one of us is commanded, not optional, not maybe we should do this or maybe God will bring somebody to life, but no, I'm commanded to be a disciple-maker. Now, uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4. Um, you can look this up a little bit later, read the whole story yourself if you've never read it before. It is a, a, a passage that um, just... just blows my mind when I read through it. Um, it is Jesus, and he's going to have a conversation with the woman at the well. Um, and what you're going to see is this is the picture of disciple-making and doing it evangelistically because he's going to break every cultural rule. He's going to break racial barriers, gender conversation barriers. He's going to break uh, background barriers. He's going to step into this woman's life and confront her compassionately. John chapter 4, Jesus is having this con con conversation with the woman at the well. He's traveling with the disciples. They come across. They get close to Samaria. Jesus says, we're going to go this way. No, we could go a different way. Jesus says, no, I, I have a purpose for going this specific way. He sends them off. He ends up at the well. The woman comes up. They begin this conversation. They're talking about water because they're at the well. Great way to have the conversation. Verse 13 says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking physically, give me some water. Jesus got her, right? She came for water. Offer living water. She's not quite making the connection yet, but she, she's in. She's in the conversation. He's broken all the cultural rules. She's trying to figure out why is this Jewish rabbi speaking to me? Why are we having this conversation? We shouldn't be alone. We shouldn't be talking. He, he's a teacher. I'm not. I'm sinful. He's holy. All, they don't think we should be talking to each other. And here we are. And he wants to give me living water. I'll take it. Fill up my jug. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband 
and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. You think? <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. You, you go back and you can read the rest of the story. It, it, it's marvelous. It's, it's great. Just at lunch today, break it out. Read through it as a family. Just Disciple making here, though, for Jesus, it was about forming a relationship. It was loving. It was truthful. He engaged her with the hope of eternal life. He was compassionate, yet he did not condone. That's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big part for us in the world that we live in. He was compassionate, yet he did not condone. And, and here, this lady is going, you, this is not right. Something about you. Yes, there's something about me. You are exactly right. The conversation continues and she leaves. She comes full of guilt. She goes back home full of grace. She goes back to the village where everybody knew her and her reputation, full of guilt, full of shame. She goes back full of grace, full of excitement. And here's what she said. Many Samaritans from that town, verse 39, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Really? So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you've said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And how did that happen? Because Jesus just sent her back? No. Because they invited him to come into the town. And what did Jesus do? He stopped he paused in the middle of what we would consider what his disciples. We were, so hold it, now you're talking to a Samaritan woman. Now we're going to go hang out for a few days in a Samaritan town? I don't think so. Yep, guys, that's where we're going. We're going to spend a few days there. I'm going to pour into them. It's intentional. It can't just happen from a distance. They can't just hear the stories. They've got to witness it. They've got to be a part of it. They've got to see of it. And also, it is going to be full of truth. Disciple making is teaching the truth of God's word. It's not absent of it. It's not just saying, come hang out. It's come saying, come hang out. Let's walk through what's going on in life. Let's look at Scripture. Let's see the guardrails to protect you and the guidance to lead you from God's Word. It's not one or the other. It's a both and. It's putting both of them together. Disciple making without leading people to the truth of God's Word is simply leading people to hang out with me. We must live life with people as Jesus did and lead them to him over and over and over. The grand, again, the Great Commission instructs the disciples to make disciples by teaching the authority. And here's what Jesus did. He not only gave them the instructions and the teaching, he lived a transformed life in front of them. Jesus made sure, Jesus made sure to live a transformational lifestyle with his followers rather than simply an instructional one. Big difference there. 
Transformation is taking place here. Why? Because Jesus is saying, guys, follow me, walk with me, come eat with me, come hang out with me. Let's cross barriers together. Let's see the opposition grow towards me. I want you to see it all. I want you to hear it all. I want to teach you from the Old Testament. I want to walk you through. He didn't just hand them a manual and go, hey, guys, I tell you what, I've written down 10 really good sermons. And uh, if you guys, you 12, if you'll take these, you'll go figure it out. And I'm going to leave um, in a certain period of time. And I'm going to be gone. And once I'm gone, you guys take this and go for it. Um, have you ever tried to just tell somebody how to change a tire or a basic thing in life? I remember one time we, we had somebody over and we said, hey, try to walk somebody through teaching them, some of you have done this because you're coaches, teaching them for the very first time uh, all the rules that go with football. All the rules that go with softball. Well, there's a ball. What's that ball? Well, you hit it with a bat. What's a bat? Well, let me write it down for you. Let me give you a 40-page instruction manual on how to play softball. And, and, you, and they read it, and they're like, oh, well, there's lines, and there's a base, and there's this. And, and then they, and they get out there, and they go, oh, where's the, where, who's going to walk me to first base? Like, I, I don't know what this is about. I read the book, but that's a bat. How do I swing the bat? Well, didn't you read the page on how to swing the bat? Like keep it level, step through it, keep your eye on the ball. Yeah, but what does that look like? You know what's more effective is to walk someone through it, giving them the same instructions, but walking them, stepping with them, letting them see your weaknesses, letting them see your strengths, letting them see your failures, letting them see your rejoicing and saying, listen, I don't have this all figured out, but I'm going to follow Jesus and why don't you walk with me? Not, here's this, go learn this, go read this, and hopefully you'll figure it out. It's, let me grab you by the hand and let's stumble down first baseline together. It's transformational. If we begin to live lives that are transformational, here's what will happen. It will change your coaching coaches. If you take these truths of God's word, that, that you're a disciple maker, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you're called to make disciples of all nations, you're called to baptize, to teach, to grow, whatever people are around you, if we'll take that, it'll start to transform your ball practices, maybe not immediately, maybe just in your heart. It'll start to transfer your, and transform your Sunday morning groups. It'll start to transform your Wednesday night groups, your, your Tuesday night groups, your Thursday night groups. Some of you guys meet all the time, all right? Your worship rehearsals, your, your choir rehearsals, your breakfast meetings, your, your lunch meetings. It'll begin to transform those because you see those as having a different outcome. Now, what's that outcome? Just stick with me. Paul says there's a purpose here. He says this, that he gave the apostles... It's coming out of Ephesians chapter 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. What did he give them for? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why did he give certain people his gifts? To, to help us grow in our faith for building up the body of Christ, for building up the church. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may, listen to this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, what does that mean? 
Paul says. He gave us gifts and abilities to teach, to grow. Why? So that you no longer stayed a baby spiritually. So that you were no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried what? Carried about by every scheme of doc, wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Let me just step into this since we just talked about our seniors and you saw their pictures and you saw their baby pictures. Super cute. But can I just tell you, if you got kids in your life that are under the age of 21 years old, let me just tell you, the enemy is going after them hardcore. And he's not letting up. He's not even scheming it anymore. He's not even hiding it anymore. He's putting it out there and he's just saying, hey, it's enticing. It sounds fun. I know it's going to take you away from what you learned when you were growing up, but it's going to take you. It's going to give you some great times, some great memories. This is where we as believers, listen, we've got to look at everybody that is dear to us. Remember that passage that we looked at a few minutes ago. He was talking to the church of Thessalonica and he said, listen, we're going to share the gospel with you and we're going to share our lives with you. Why? Because you're dear to us. We love you. You're a part of our lives. We care for you. And he says, because you're dear to us, we're not going to let you stay spiritually immature. Let me just say this. I know this is not popular within church. Giving your kids to us for an hour or two on Sunday morning does not combat the 150 plus hours the world gets. It will not be enough. It is not enough. You say, well, well, I mean, they're in Awana. They're memorizing scripture. Fantastic. They need to be. If they're not, come next September, they need to be. Well, yeah, but we got them on Sunday mornings and they're downstairs while I'm upstairs. Two hours, two hours. Trust me, the enemy will offer them more in the next two hours when they leave church and they'll offer it to them for 150 hours this week. And the enemy will not leave them alone. It's not leaving you alone. So how do we, this is, what, this is, this is the importance of evangelistic discipleship. It's not just a program. It's saying, I know somebody who is dear to me that I do not want them tossed back and forth by the schemes of the enemy and for their faith and for their lives to be torn apart. I care about them enough. I love them enough to not just trust Pastor Michael for 30 minutes to pour in everything they need for the rest of their lives. It will not be enough. There are plenty of voices in the world that will preach other messages to your children, to you. The evangelist of your favorite news channel will make disciples. Your favorite sport team will make disciples. And they got you all week long. So I want to ask you to do something this morning. Paul says, we want disciples who are filled with knowledge, who are led to maturity, who are led to unity, who are led to reconciliation, who are led to humility, who are led to forgiveness, who are led to being willing to be confronted by sin. That's what all goes behind that. He wants them, he wants to see them become mature in their doctrine, mature in their trust, mature in their faith. So I want to close this morning and again this is notes are all askew this morning for those of you trying to follow me back there but I just want to ask you 
we're not praying yet. I just want to ask you, close your eyes for, for 10 seconds, and I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going, to, I'm not going to point at you or poke at you, okay? Nothing crazy. Paul says that he wanted to share the gospel and himself with people that are dear to him. In your mind right now, give yourself the moment to highlight some people in your life who are dear to you. Who is dear to you? Who is someone you love, affectionately desire? Someone's dear to you. Who's dear to you? You can open your eyes, keep thinking of that person, those people. And let me lay this verse on you. We should be ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also our lives. With who? Those that you just thought about. So I want to ask you um, just to be really transparent, maybe with a group this size. Um, this morning, when in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have Justin then come up and lead. And if you, if you have someone dear to you, uh, man, the first service, we just ask if, and I'll just go for it. Here we go. If you have someone dear to you, a, a grown child, a sibling, a parent, who is not pursuing Jesus, not not attending church, not man, they're not, they're just not pursuing the things of God's word. If you've got somebody in your life like that, would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Would you take it, just keep your hand up. Would you look around? Seriously, look around. You're not alone. They're dear to you. They might be somebody that the circles cross, they might be near to me, but they're dear to you. And what do we need to be ready to do? What do we value as a church? We need to be ready to share the good news of Jesus with them and invite them into our lives. Now, some of them aren't giving you the time of day. Some of them aren't even looking at you. They don't even care about you. They don't want anything to do with you. And I recognize that and I realize that and I know the burden that's fallen on you even while we're walking through this. And so I just want our invitation this morning to be a time for you um, to come, to pray. There's, there's nothing magical. Like there's not, you're going to kneel at this step and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be 5,000 miles away. And they're going to, poo, I should go to church today, right? That's, that's probably not going to happen. It might. It'd be pretty, pretty amazing. But, but here's what it is. It's, it's, it's surrender. It's saying, hey, I want to be obedient to pursue the Lord for this person. Why? Because they're dear to me. And I don't want to pass off discipling them to somebody else. I don't want to have an expectation that Michael's going to get it done in 45 minutes on a Sunday. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. I'm not sure the interaction. It's distant. It's dark. It's heavy. It's bleak. But could we lean in this morning collectively as a church and say, there's someone who's dear to me. And I want them to follow Jesus. So God, give me the opportunity. And in doing that, ask yourself, 
What am I a disciple of? Currently, what am I a disciple of? What, what, what am I leading them to? And who am I leading to be a disciple of Jesus? Who is dear to you? Let's pray. Let's be obedient. It's what God leads you to do. Not manipulation, but just to be able to pray together.